Today we're celebrating the Feast of Saints Andrew, but also the first day of our novena in preparation for the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. So every day during this novena we will go through the different titles of Our Lady and especially Mary as Mother, and today as Mother of God. So more than uh, or less than a proper sermon, it's just a couple notes uh, because it's supposed to be a fervorino. It's a very common thing in Italy, fervorino. Uh, you have the, the word fervor. Uh, so it's almost like a, a little uh, class of catechism with, of course, some spiritual, um, more uplifting thoughts as well. So today, Mother of God, or the Theotokos, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. How can that be, since I have no knowledge of men. You, of course, remember the words of Our Lady on the day of the visitation of the angel Gabriel, on the day of the Annunciation. So already she is uh, asked to become the mother of God, and yet she doesn't understand it, she doesn't know it, but already present in her is the Word of God. And already as it has been announced in the Old Testament that she would become one day the mother of God. We see many instances in the Old Testament, what we call typologies, a typos in Greek means like a figure, so prefiguration, uh, personifications as well as we will see, of places or a uh, number of people that would personify uh, another reality, Our Lady of Herself, as we will see. So in the Old Testament, we see already the presence of several holy wives, holy ladies, and attached to them a miraculous birth. We have the example of Sarah. Sarah, remember, nothing is impossible for God, as she's surprised, and her husband as well, that she would uh, give birth to a little child. But yet, God reminds her that nothing is impossible for God. We have the example of Judith, Judith, who, same thing, uh, doesn't think that she is strong enough, powerful enough to stop the uh, whole furnace. And yet, she's asked by God, entrusted with a special mission, to save the chosen people. So already two persons, or uh, typos, figures of the upcoming uh, figure of Our Lady herself. Very interesting, in the Old Testament, we also have the name Daughter of Zion. Daughter of Zion, used in the Gospels as well to refer to Our Lady. Um, we can see the parallel in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 9. Rejoice, O daughters of Zion. These daughters of Zion, it's... Uh, of course, a personification of the people, the chosen people. So when you hear in the Old Testament, daughter of Zion, it refers to, at large, the, uh, the Jewish community, the, the chosen people. And you know that on Mount Zion, that's where Jerusalem was built. So already uh, we see when God, or through the angel, or through the evangelist, uses the name daughter of Zion when talking about Our Lady, and especially at the beginning of the Magnificat, remember, she says, rejoice. Uh, Our Lady says, rejoice. She reuses the same words as in this book, chapter 9 of Ezekiel, rejoice, O daughter of Zion. 
so she knows that she is the new Jerusalem in some ways, where the word of God would incarnate. So uh, in Jerusalem, in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, where, of course, uh, God would come and manifest himself to men, now the new Jerusalem, Our Lady, Daughter of Zion, is called to become uh, that one tab tabernacle, that new temple in which God would come. She's the new Ark of the Covenant. The new Ark of the Covenant. She's the place where Yahweh, God, dwells. The Holy of Holies. And we see that also with the use of the word kaire in, in Greek. Yes, in Greek, the word salve in Latin, or hell uh, Mary, which is the same as rejoice. Rejoice, O Mary. It's an echo of the messianic joy that has been announced. The promise of a savior. Break into song, fair Zion. All Israel cry aloud. Here is joy and triumph. Book of Zephaniah. That of course refers to already to the coming of Our Lady as Mother of God. And that same word kaifi that will be used by the angel Gabriel when visiting a lady that we, of course, recite every day when saying the Hail Mary. In the New Testament now, we see in Luke chapter 1, the power of the Most High will overshadow thee. That's another clear sign that she is not uh, a random uh, daughter of the Jewish people. She's really meant to become the mother of God. And why is that? That little word, overshadow. Overshadow, the shadow, remember that would cover, come over the arch in the Old Testament. When God, every time God would visit his people, he would, uh, this shadow was mentioned, this shadow would um, come over the arch. And the same thing here, of course, God's presence kind of overshadows Our Lady herself. She becomes a new tabernacle, a new temple, as we said. In the arch, of the covenant, remember that we had the table of the law, the Ten Commandments, literally the word of God given to men, and now in this new law, under the new law, Christ, the coming of Christ, Mary becomes this new tabernacle, this new ark for a new covenant between God and his people. He shall be known for the Son of God, says the angel Gabriel shall be known for the Son of God. Another clear sign that Mary has been chosen to be the Teotokos, the Mother of God. Why is that? Because this expression, Son of God, can be found also at the baptism of our Lord to confirm that uh, specific uh, mission of Our Lady and to, of course, remind everybody that Christ is truly man and truly God. The baptism, we hear the, son, uh, the, the voice of the Father, this is my beloved Son. Son of God over Jesus. At the transfiguration, the voice of the Father is also heard. This is my uh, beloved Son. And finally, the last testimony of Christ himself during his passion, when he says that you shall see the Son of Man, the Son of God, come in glory and power. So that same expression used by St. Gabriel and later in the baptism of our Lord, transfiguration and last testimony of Christ's passion, clearly shows these uh, two natures in Christ, true God and true man. Mary is mother then 
of a God-made man. God, as we know, is holiness and perfection. Perfection is the proper attribute of God. So when uniting himself with a creature, there is a necessity for this creature to be perfect as well, according not to standard of God, because she wouldn't be able to be God himself, but perfect according to her nature as a human being. Holiness is perfect integrity. So necessity in Mary, necessity in Mary, of this perfect integrity as well. No stain, no sin, neither original sin nor, of course, actual sins. She's immaculate from her very conception. Of course, due to a special privilege reserved to her, for her. We have to wait, and that's interesting enough, to wait until the proclamation by Pius the, the IX in 1854 for the, the official proclamation of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, as you remember. Although St. Thomas, uh, Thomas Aquinas and St. Bernard did not really agree with that and did not, were not really in favor of this proclamation, of course, centuries earlier, but interesting to see that even St. Thomas uh, did not see very clear in that, although he and St. Bernard as well always were, were ready to accept whatever the Church would decide on that uh, immaculate uh, conception of Our Lady. From, again, the point, the important point here was that the moment of that uh, privilege received by Mary. Was it really at the moment of her conception in the womb of St. Anne, or was it later? So, of course, uh, the Church in 1854 uh, proclaimed that this Mary was without any stain from the very instant of her conception. And from that miraculous um, conception of Our Lady as Immaculate, we can now have, now have the miraculous conception of Our Lord Himself, because the tabernacle is now perfect. The temple is ready to welcome the Son of Man. The Holy Spirit gives life in Mary to what she provides with her very own body and blood. No need of anything else. And this is, of course, where the miracle takes place. No need of anything else. No need of a male, masculine element, but Mary, her own blood, will give everything that will be needed for the constitution of the body of our Lord through, again, a special favor and miracle uh, from the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. She's mother and yet virgin. And Christ, in this miracle, Christ still remains, of course, son of David, Abraham, and Adam. There is no changes, and a beautiful thing that many authors mention is that even physical resemblance between Mary, who gave everything, her blood, everything that her body would give to make this human life possible, of course, with the help of the Holy Spirit, but nothing outside of that, which means that our Lord himself um, resembled Mary in certainly a very particular way and beautiful way. Or, more accurately, we could say that Mary resembled her son beautifully, resembled uh, physically, of course, but also uh, in her soul. This dual uh, relationship in, in the, the natural level and supernatural level. So simply as, as a conclusion, as we prepare ourselves for the commemoration of this first coming of our Lord, um, the little crib of Bethlehem, and as we prepare ourselves for the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, 
Let us follow Mary's example, becoming holy temples with Mary, not certainly as perfect as she was, which was a particular privilege that we will never have, but yet we are asked to become as much as we can with our efforts, sacrifices, and with God's holy grace. Let's become these, these holy temples, not only to welcome Christ, but to keep Him in our souls, as we have mentioned this past Sunday, with uh, the indwelling of the Holy Trinity in us through the mystery of sanctifying grace that can be lost, as you know, with one little sin. So let's keep preciously this holy temple instinct in us during this season as we approach Easter, with the, uh, Christmas, sorry, with the spirit of humility and purity of heart and renewing with Mary our daily fiat. Fiat Miki, secundum verbum tuum, amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Thank you.